Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Pearl Steinzer, Assistant Editor at the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we had the opportunity to speak with an author from a study published in the May 2023 issue. The study, Association Between Low-Income Subsidies and Inequities in Orally Administered Antimyeloma Therapy Use, compared the initiation of an adherence to orally administered antimyeloma therapy between enrollees receiving and not receiving the Medicare Part D low-income subsidy. It also examined the association between these subsidies and racial and ethnic barriers to the use of these drugs. With us is Dr. Shelley Jazowski, a postdoctoral fellow at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine and lead researcher of the study. Dr. Jazowski, can you discuss why it's important to investigate the Medicare Part D low-income subsidy program for its potential impact on access to antimyeloma therapy? Sure. So the cost of orally administered antimyeloma therapies has increased substantially over the past decade and thus contributed to the financial burden of many Medicare beneficiaries. In turn, high out-of-pocket costs have also been cited as a key reason why patients delay or discontinue antimyeloma therapy. So the Medicare Part D low-income subsidy program is a potential solution to financial burden for it reduces out-of-pocket costs for beneficiaries with limited incomes and assets. So for example, a full subsidy recipient can pay as low as $10 for an antimyeloma medication that could normally cost $3,000 for a monthly supply of medication. So it's due to these reduced out-of-pocket costs that patients could potentially see an increase in access to needed therapy. Can you tell us more about the methods you and your team used to compare the initiation of an adherence to orally administered antimyeloma therapies between full subsidy and non-subsidy enrollees? So we evaluated initiation and adherence in two ways. So we were looking at time to each outcome, and then we were looking at each outcome over a specified time period. So we used Cox proportional hazards models to examine time from diagnosis to treatment initiation and time from initiation to treatment discontinuation. In addition, we use modified Poisson regression to evaluate initiation in the 30, 60, and 90 days following diagnosis and adherence in the 180 days following treatment initiation. We also use two broad approaches to compare outcomes between full subsidy and non-subsidy enrollees. To assess the independent association between subsidies and treatment use, we use stabilized inverse probability of treatment weights to balance observed patient and census track level characteristics between full subsidy and non-subsidy enrollees. To assess inequities in treatment initiation and use, we employed a multi-step approach. First, we used a multivariable model to assess the independent effect of race and ethnicity by only controlling for health status. We then adjusted for census tract level socioeconomic status and related factors to determine if racial and ethnic differences in antimyeloma therapy were attenuated. Lastly, we stratified these models by subsidy status to understand whether full subsidies modify inequities in antimyeloma treatment use. 
And a principal finding of your research is that full subsidy enrollees were more likely to experience earlier treatment discontinuation versus non-subsidy enrollees. What might explain this finding? Non-financial barriers to care, including limited patient-provider communication, patients' mistrust of the healthcare system, and structural barriers such as lack of reliable transportation could potentially explain why full-subsidy enrollees stopped using orally administered antimyeloma therapy. However, financial barriers to care may also explain our observations. Full-subsidy enrollees often pay as little as $1 for a monthly supply of anti-cancer therapy but over 1 million are exposed to greater cost sharing because they are enrolled in a Part D plan that requires a monthly premium. In these instances, the low-income subsidy program may inadvertently be acting as a barrier to continued antimyeloma therapy use. Based on your findings, are there implications for policymakers and healthcare providers in terms of improving access to and equitable use of high-cost antimyeloma therapies? So the key takeaway of our study is that reduced cost sharing alone is insufficient to improve access to and equitable use of antimyeloma therapy. So affordability is really just one piece of the puzzle. Policymakers and healthcare providers should address known barriers to care, such as the social determinants of health and structural racism in order to improve access to and equity of care. And were there any unexpected or surprising findings in your study? How do these findings contribute to the existing knowledge on the Medicare Part D low-income subsidy program and its impact on antimyeloma therapy? So to be honest, all of our findings were a bit surprising, um, given that they were contrary to all of our hypotheses. Um, But I guess the findings that surprised me the most were that receipt of full subsidies did not improve uptake of antimyeloma therapy or narrow racial and ethnic inequities in treatment initiation. So kind of all goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that affordability is just one component that impacts access to care, um, and that we really need to focus on other barriers, non-financial barriers to care in order to improve access to and use of antimyeloma therapy. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.